Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Exit Row, a podcast dedicated to informing entrepreneurs and business owners about the tools, techniques, and people that they need on their side so that they can exit their companies into a great retirement. And a great retirement, as we define it, is one where you you retire when you want, with the money that you want, and a purpose in mind. So you're doing the things you want to do with the people that you want to do them. I'm Frank Warren, and uh, I'm the Associate Director at Seabrook Wessex Advisors. We are an an exit planning firm in um, South Carolina. We're not a law firm. We're not a CPA, an accounting firm. We are not uh, a financial planning practice, but we play well in the sandbox with all of those people. And uh, those are all people that you need on your side, by the way, among others, as you uh, develop plans to exit your company again into a great retirement. Um, have a quiz for you today. Uh, question number one. When you go on vacation, do you check in with the office? Question number two. Do you check email when you um, are at dance recitals and soccer games with your children or grandchildren? And then question number three. Do you believe that your business just can't run without you? Well, if you do, then you're just a, an illness or a death away from the utter ruin of your company. Um, uh, you have a situation where your company owns you. You don't own your company. And that's bad on a number of levels. The first level is um, if you cannot come back into the office for an extended period of time, like forever, uh, let's say you've contracted COVID-19, you're on an event and you don't come off of it. Um, the value of your company drops overnight by at, at, at a generous uh, assessment, two-thirds, but it's going to be higher than that. Uh, and, and most people, quite frankly, uh, when that happens to them, their businesses are just, they're toast. Um, there are things that you can do to, uh, to help that situation um, uh, be less of a, uh, of a threat, you know, different types of, uh, of uh, disability insurance uh, tools and, uh, and products. But um, uh, it's a dangerous situation to be in. Now, think about this in terms of, um, uh, of your overall family life. If you, if you find that your company cannot run without you, are you missing a lot of big family events? And when you go on vacation, as, as I pointed to in the, um, uh, in the quiz earlier, uh, are you present? That's a big term these days. They're talk uh, talking about people being present. Um, I have found, I'm, listen, I have found myself having that issue um, where I, I'm concerned about what's going on on a particular uh, project that we're working on or, um, and, and I'm just, I'm not, I'm miles away. And that's a terrible position to be in from a relationship standpoint. Now, think a little bit further. What happens when it's time for you to retire? Most, if you're going to sell your company to a third party, most people 
want to um, sign on the line, get the check, and get the heck out of there. Uh, you, if, you're, if your plan is to really enjoy a great retirement, um, what you don't want to do is to find yourself in a position where you are so necessary to your, uh, to your company's operation that you can't sell the company without you having to be there for a period of time after you've actually sold it. Uh, and and uh, work what's called an earnout, where uh, uh, you get part of your sales proceeds when you've uh, uh, crossed certain time metrics, and then finally you hit the last one. And then you then you are really retired. But that's to me, uh, I think most people would agree, is a little on the counterproductive side. So um, when somebody comes in to buy your company. Uh, they're going to be a little concerned if, uh, uh, if, if uh, as the um, song from the Broadway musical uh, goes, uh, if you want to get anything done, you've got to do it yourself. Um, that kind of micromanagement sounds noble, and, and, and people almost take it as a badge of honor to say things like that, but it's one of the things that will really be a damper when it comes time to sell your company in terms of the, the value, that the, the price that you could get uh, for your company. So uh, I want to tell you, I suggest to you this, mor- this evening or this morning, whenever, wherever you're listening around the world, that um, you should set as an objective long before you retire making your company um, into what is referred to as a what we call a self-managing enterprise. Um, my good friend and uh, mentor Dan Sullivan at the uh, Strategic Coach in Toronto, Ontario, has uh, uh, penned a book in the past um, that he called the uh, the self-managing company. <coughs> and of course, the idea is, that you want to get a, um, you want to get your company to a place where the only thing that your work that you do is the thing that is your unique ability, the thing that impacts the bottom line uh, uh, the most, and then you get off of your plate everything that is not your unique ability. As Dan puts it, you want to delegate everything but genius everything but the thing that you do best. Um, Now, how do you do that? Well, uh, with your existing existing team and your associates and yourself, it's a good idea to, uh, and you may need some help to do this, uh, to do what is called a talent assessment. Uh, We call it a unique ability assessment. And your, your HR function uh, really comes into play here. Um, most people think that what HR does is um, um, make sure that they make sure that all the form, proper forms are filled out. Uh, they work with, with uh, accounting to make sure that withhold, the withholdings are, are properly done. And they plan the company picnic and order the dead turkeys at the end of the year. But um, as the late Jack Welch said, the, the purpose of HR is to, um, that the, the HR should be like the Office of Player Development of the Boston Red Sox. And what do they do? 
the the office of player development at the Boston Red Sox has three jobs they recruit talent they make sure that that talent is properly trained and then they work on retaining that talent and then of course sometimes they have to make some decisions on, on, on trades and yeah I understand all of that but the the three most essential purposes of, of, of that part of the organization and any HR uh, function is to recruit, train, and retain talent. Uh, now, if you are um, the, the founder, you may still be doing a lot of your own um, HR work. <laughs> and that's another, another place that you can actually um, delegate. But your involvement in things like the hiring process um, really should be, or, or, uh, or HR really should be limited to uh, final hiring decisions, and um, uh, and if if you can rest restrict yourself to that, and do as what uh, what Jack would say, um, hire slowly, fire quickly, then your organization is uh, is going to be m much better off. And this all again point goes back to this idea of making sure that you're is that, that what you are doing is inside your wheelhouse and that you're not trying to be inside and outside your wheelhouse at the same time the stuff that you that is not your unique ability that's where your team and your associate your associates come into play you want to have people on uh, on in your organization who have the talent to do the things you should not be doing um, you, uh, unless you're just a, a coffee snob, your job shouldn't be making co coffee or copies. Um, uh, there are, there are, you've got great people in your organization who should be handling all of those other kinds of things, all those other kinds of processes. Um, and uh, you should be, again, uh, doing whatever it is that you do, that when you do it, uh, it most possibly affects your company. It may not be generating the sales it may be actually designing and or, or thinking up the uh, the product or the concept and and it may not even be designing the process or the concept uh, it, it that may be again something else that you uh, that you wind up delegating but if you can get yourself to that place where you are only dealing with your unique ability then <coughs> then you're you're on your way and maybe closer to you, th you think quicker than you think to having a company that is a self-managing enterprise. Now, what is a self-managing enterprise? Because we really haven't defined that. I'm going to give you what we, what we at Seabrook Wessex think is a a, a good, um, a, a good standard, a good benchmark for a self-managing enterprise. If you can leave your company for 30 days. In fact, if you could leave your company for 30 days and not tell anybody that you're coming into the office, but that's don't do that. But if you can leave your office for 30 days in a row without checking in even once, and the company still is functioning and operating, it's still serving customers and clients, it's still making money, then you have a self-managing enterprise. And you've got a company that, if you died, 
or if you became disabled to the point of incapacity, it's not just gonna, the, the tent's not just going to fold immediately, and the rats and the rats, to mix a metaphor, aren't going to jump the ship. So, so that's that's the the first big benefit. And again, as as I alluded to earlier, if you have a self-managing enterprise, then when it comes time to sell your company, you don't have to work and earn out unless you just really, really want to. And I have had those situations with clients where they had these long-standing relationships with, uh, with customers and vendors, and, um, uh, and they, they stuck around for six months to a year to make sure that they had uh, plenty of opportunity to say goodbye to people that they'd, um, that they'd uh, you know, worked with over the years. But that shouldn't be entirely necessary, and I'm going to, and and I don't think it's it's a great idea at all. Um, I had a, um, a a client a number of years ago that we designed an exit plan for, um, <coughs> and as often happens, um, when people um, have an opportunity to an opportunity to exit their companies, and they've got somebody who wants to buy their company. Uh, it, it may be a, uh, it's, oftentimes it's a, uh, um, a, a somebody in the supply chain, uh, a vendor. And this, in this particular case, this fellow was involved in uh, uh, computer technology. And uh, um, his biggest vendor had, had appreciated the fact that he had a rocking and rolling business. It was in another part of, our, uh, of the, the state of South Carolina. Um, and, and this guy just uh, made money hand over fist. Um, the problem, though, was um, that his company, uh, even though it was very attractive to this vendor, and the vendor had actually been talking to him like for seven or eight years, and finally this guy, we'll call him Rocky, and I'll tell you why in a second, um, Rocky decides that he's gonna, he will sell his company. But in the course of things, the um, a determination was made, uh, and uh, as the as the uh, company was valued uh, during a pre-sale due, due diligence, uh, that um, if Rocky wasn't there, that the value of the company would would be severely impaired. Its ability to uh, to have the, have the ongoing performance that it has had in the past might not be there. And so uh, the uh, purchaser of his company, again, his largest vendor, rightly, I think, from their perspective, um, decided that um, they wanted him to work a three-year earnout and then another three years of, uh, uh, or so of, a, of uh, what amounted to a non-compete. So, um, how could Rocky have avoided that? Well, we told Rocky that um, he needed to get a professional valuation done uh, on his company and a and do his own pre-sale due diligence prior to uh, this vendor coming in and really getting serious. Rocky said, "I don't want to spend the money." Now. We just did some rough figuring, and and Rocky sold his company for then uh, it was about four million dollars, and if Rocky had um, had uh, 
done his own pre-sale due diligence and found and recognized the fact that he uh, he uh, had a company that was way too dependent on his being inside the equation for things to to happen and for the value to 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 be sustained. Uh, because he did not do that, uh, if he had done it, he uh, instead of a four million dollar deal, it would have been somewhere between six and eight. Uh, now this was maybe twenty around twenty years ago. So, um, uh, so what happened with poor Rocky? Well, Rocky uh, uh, worked a year and a half into his three-year earnout, became utterly frustrated because he didn't like the way that the uh, new owners were running, wanted to run things, and so he walked away from. Honest to goodness, and I'm still stunned at this. He walked away from several hundreds of thousands of dollars. And said, um, uh, I'll, "I'll just walk away. Uh, I'll, I'll, you can keep the money, uh, and um, I'll, I'll be happy with the, with what I've already taken from the uh, uh, from the proceeds at closing and the earnouts that I've already uh, already been paid." Now, I call Rocky Rocky because uh, he's a short little fellow. looks like a looks like a squirrel. And he uh, went and got a commercial pilot's license and started flying corporate jets. So that's so we call him Rocky the Jet Age Flying Squirrel, like Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, but Rocky, um, Rocky was in a position where um, he had to work on earn out to get out of his company, and then it wasn't a pleasant experience. But what would have happened if Rocky had died? before he'd been able to complete his exit plan? Or what would have happened if he had become um, disabled to the point of incapacity? This was pre-COVID. So um, uh, if, uh, if he had found himself long-term uh, unable to come into the business at all um, and unable to affect things because he was just too sick, the, the company would have been trash. I mean, it would have had very little value. The, the only, the biggest value that it would have had would have been in its inventory, which was rather, uh, rather, uh, rather stout. Uh, he had great people working for him, great salespeople, great uh, uh, customer uh, service people, great onboarding people. His office staff was second to none, but there was no plan of attack for who would take over if he died became incapacitated or um, um, or who could take over when he did sell the company uh, he hadn't developed the team to the to that point so um, how could he have corrected that and, and kept that from happening well he could have taken a trip to Whoville <laughs> okay um, uh, because too many times we zero in on the on, on how to do something and not on the who's that are necessary. If you, there's a, uh, I mentioned Dan Sullivan uh, er, uh, earlier. Um, he and uh, a gentleman, Dr. Ben Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y, co-authored a book called Who, Not How, and it's subtitled The Formula to Achieve Bigger Goals Through Accelerating, um, Accelerating Teamwork, and it's uh, published by Hay House. It's a great book. Um, a good friend of mine down in Florida who is a honkingly successful 
uh, music producer sent it up to me and um, uh, thought that I would enjoy it and uh, and it actually it sits next to me every morning when I'm um, up doing my uh, startup routine for the day and I study this book and um, uh, so long and the short of it is you going back to what I mentioned earlier about unique abilities uh, when you see uh, something that you want to achieve something that needs to happen in your company, some process that needs to be developed, some product line that needs to be developed and launched, <coughs> excuse me, then um, the, the, you want to, f to frame the idea to the point that you, that, you know the, um, uh, that you know the type of person that you need to have to take the rest of it off of your plate. You're 80, um, you should really only be doing 20% of the work that is necessary to make it happen. Uh, the, your 80, your 80%, if you will, is in um, those things that, again, that are your unique ability. And many times it's simply a matter of just, um, uh, of how you conceptualize the idea and, and flesh it out so that, so that one or more other people can, can take the ball and run with it. Um, so uh, uh, you want to be like Horton, you know, Hort, uh, in that book, Horton Hears a Who. Um, uh, you, you want to, to identify who you need to make the thing happen that you need to have happen on a consistent and sustainable basis. When you do that, you get enough Who's in your organization who are properly empowered and you're not micromanaging them. Uh, they, they know what to do and uh, they know what the objective is and you let them make, it, make that happen the best way that they know how. Um, and and uh, we can talk about how you review performance later and we will in a, in a future podcast. But um, if, you, if you empower your people to do the thing that you want them to do and you don't, you don't hover, uh, you don't ride them, then you don't have to come into the office all the time. You can you can be present. You can take the afternoons, uh, weekends off uh, to uh, uh, to go to dance recitals and not worry if everything's okay back at the plant, uh, or, or whatever uh, whatever your your business looks like. Uh, and you really do want to get to a place where you can take weeks and weeks, maybe months and months off, um, and your company is still going to operate. Now. To do that, you need to make sure that your that your team is properly recognized, and that and we'll talk again. That's one of those things that we will uh, flesh out in a future episode. But um, uh, and that's and, and a lot of that is compensation, but it's not just compensation. Um, Jim Collins, uh, who I mentioned in the last um, episode, uh, wrote that wonderful book, Good to Great. And uh, in fact, I don't think I've read any Jim Collins book that I have not liked. But Collins, uh, in his book *Good to Great*, one of the points that uh, um, uh, that he made was that you, um, you know, that that in any um, in any great organization, um, one of the things that helps them to you know to to be great is the type of people that you have inside that organization. So uh, as he puts it, you want to make sure that you get the right people on the bus in the right seats. So, 
so he, he talks about the importance of not just hiring for a particular talent, but hiring for a commitment to mission. So, so in the process of recruiting your people, if you can see that they embrace that mission that you have, and it has to be something that you are so passionate about that people want to drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, if you get those kinds of people, then they're working for more than just money. They're, they are in your organization because they want to be a part of something really meaningful. And again, that's one of those things that increases the value of your company because you get a team that looks like that. That's a team that will manage itself. That's a company that will manage itself and that's a company that you're going to be able to leave, hopefully on your feet when you exit into that great retirement, but a team that you can leave if you go out on your shield because of a death or a disability. So think about that. Uh, again, I'm Frank Warren, uh, Associate Director at Seabrook Wessex in South Carolina. Uh, thanks for uh, spending some time with us today. Um, and um, keep having fun on the road to world domination. Have a, have a great rest of your day, people.